0: Now, when Paul the Apostle says to us in Ephesians, chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's kings. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, he then goes ahead to tell us what this full armor of God is, and as I said, in this particular series of the Believer's Battle, which I can almost think would last all of this year, perhaps, because there is a severe need... For uh, of discernment, there's a severe need for discernment of the devil's schemes in the world today, because quite honestly, I mean, from where I'm standing, I can see many people, professing Christians, have actually fallen already for the for for Satan's schemes. They do not understand the scheming that the Bible warns about, and you see, the thing is, Satan has this timeless channels of uh, of temptation that he has used from the start. He used, even on our Lord Jesus Christ, and he's still using today. His technique is is, um, channels of temptation. Yes, the actual plan has not changed. The plan is exactly the same. It's just the ways he goes about it that's changed. It's changed to accommodate what's going on now. So people want to be religious, and people like to do church and things like that. So what does Satan do? He changes his tactic. He opens up his sets of churches, his own churches. Where people can go and practice religion, but without a relationship, without a deep sense of commitment to the Lordship of Christ. People can go and shout out, Jesus is Lord. He doesn't have a problem with that, as long as you are not subdued under his Lordship. People can go and... um, sing praises and clap and dance and you know listen to all kinds of music in the name of worshiping god as long as the worship is not in spirit and in truth as long as the worship is not sincere because you know the the whole idea of bringing of of man bringing glory to god which is the sole purpose of man you and i are not here for our purposes We are not here to make a name for ourselves or to possess our possessions and acquire this and accumulate that and, you know, own houses and lands. That's not why we're here. We are here to bring glory to God. Now, God's initial plan for mankind, because having created everything else in all the earth, we were created last in God's own image and likeness. Now, that is not to say God looks like you or God looks like me, but he imparted to us his divine nature, that we can be part of that divine nature. And that is why we can feel, that is why we have an urge to worship, that is why we can feel love, that's why we have emotions. These are all characteristic of God. He loved us even before he created us. And he has dealt with us in love ever since that time. that is why, despite the sinfulness of man, God still put in place a rescue plan indeed he he destroyed the first world because everything had absolutely gone pear-shaped, not according to God's plan. Why, because of the Satan, because of Satan, the adversary, who hates God with undying zeal? Satan hates God with undying zeal. And you know what? When you follow the ways of Satan, then you also hate God. And it doesn't matter how much you say you, you profess to love him. When you walk in disobedience to God's ways and God's will and God's commands, you hate him. The Bible makes that clear. The enemies of God, anyone who is disobedient, is an enemy of God. Because the Bible tells us that the spirit of disobedient is the spirit of Satan. It says the spirit that operates in those people who are disobedient. And as we read last week in um in the gospel, according to John, uh, when the people asked Jesus, What 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 can we do then to do the works of God? You know, what can we do? We want to do the works of God, what can we do? Jesus said the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. Now believing in the one he has sent is believing in God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came down as a man, and lived for God, just so you and I can understand that living for God is not an impossible task. It's a delight, actually, because, I mean, I I have walked in the light of Christ since he called me into his fold and into his service, and I cannot bear the thought of being one moment or second away from the direct guidance of the Lord. I can't bear it. I mean, where will I go? Into the world? I mean, when, when the disciples were deserting Jesus, when he spoke to them about being the bread of life, and, you know, anyone who wanted life had to come to him and eat of this bread, and the disciples following him then, you know, they said, this is such a hard teaching, who who who, who can accept this? And so many of them deserted him. Many of them walked off. They were, they were leaving, they couldn't take it. Now, what is he talking about? How can he now say he's the bread from heaven? What is he talking about? We, we have to drink his blood and, and eat of his flesh. You know, and so a lot of them deserted him. And Jesus said to the um, to the twelve apostles, they weren't apostles at the time; they were still his disciples. He had not yet named them apostles at the time, but that's who they were. And Jesus said to him in uh, chapter six of John, from um, verse six to seven, "You do not want to leave, too, do you?" Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God." So you see, who to whom shall we go when we depart from the ordinances of Christ? When we choose to walk apart from the way the Lord has shown us, we fall into the hands of, of Satan. There is no middle ground and there is no neutral ground. You're either on the Lord's side or you're on Satan's side. Now understand one thing. Satan is very powerful. You and I cannot withstand him. But the Holy Spirit of God who comes and inhabits the believer... He leads us. He leads us in the triumphant procession, so that we are able to stand our ground. And this is the full armor of God that that, that uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians. I'm going to go into breaking down what the full armor of God is, but not today because um, I'm going to build up to that. But we are going to actually examine every piece of this armor of God that Paul tells us to put on, because there are too many naked people out there who say they are Christians. One, they are not saved because they do not have saving faith. Two, they are very vulnerable and have fallen into, into the snare of the devil because they have not put on the full armor of God. They are victims, but well, we are supposed to be victorious. Now, leading you, uh, being led in, like I said last week, in ridiculous and imaginary uh, spiritual battles where you're being told to bind Satan and curse Satan and curse the heavenly, uh, uh, the, the demonic spirits in the heavenly realms and throw them in the abyss and all that, that's a whole load of nonsense. It's a whole load of nonsense. You do not have the authority to do that, nor do you have the power to do that. And you know what? They are undisturbed by you. They just look at you and mock you. Because they know you're talking rubbish. You're absolutely talking nonsense. Satan, Jesus called him the prince of this world. God has put him here for that reason. The apostle, Paul, I think it is, also describe or, or, or Peter also described him as the God of this of this age. The God of this world as a small G, that is. So his position here nobody can change. Only Christ will displace him. Only Christ will put him in his place at his second coming. You and I, until such a time, our instruction, the commandment, the command we have is to resist the devil and he will flee from us. How do you resist the devil? By upholding the word of God. By obeying the word of God. You know, when Satan tempted Jesus, when he tried and tempted our Lord, our incarnate Lord... Do you know, he quoted scripture. So don't be mesmerized by everybody who quotes scripture to you and tells you this is what the Bible says. You have to be discerning, you need yourself to be thirsting for truth. To hunger for truth. When you hunger for the truth of God, and you thirst for his truth, because you want to obey him, not because you want to find out which bits of of the Bible promises health and wealth and prosperity, but if you want to actually know the truth of God, because you have come to the realization that you are a sinner who has been forgiven. And as such, because if you've been forgiven, you want to live for God, which is the sole purpose of man, to bring glory to God. Bringing glory to God is not about congregating in church and singing praises and, you know, playing holy in the church, lifting up hands, holy hands in prayer, shall we say. We do all that, and then we go back out of the church, and you return to your usual carnal self. Even in the church gatherings, there's too much carnality going on today too much canality going on a lot of it music is, 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 is like being in a rock concert so much informality this is god almighty he is to be revered when we gather in the name of god we must all have our wits about us and be sensible about our worship know what we are doing be objective our spirit must worship god I'm a spirit worshipping God, it's not about you speaking in tongues or anything like that. Your spirit worship and spiritual worship is understanding the purpose for which you're worshipping God. I'm praising God, I'm singing to God because of what He has done for me, because He created me for His purpose, because He has rescued me from death, because He has delivered me from judgment, because He has blessed me with eternal life, because He has created with me a new person. I am here for the purposes of God. That is why He's put me here. When your worship is objective, that is when you're worshiping in spirit and in truth. Because you come to understand the truth and you hold on to the truth. That outside of Christ, you were destined for destruction. Outside of Christ, you cannot stand. You are nothing. Outside of Christ, you are nothing but a child of wrath. Who has displeased God? Who is clad in sin but now now that you have come to Christ you have been forgiven and now he has told you you will not die but you will abide with him eternally you are going to be an inhabitant of the new earth that God is going to create he says your sins are forgiven he has given you in place of all your worry and anxiety is has given you peace and joy now a deep appreciation of that will make you burst out in praise and adoration for God That is worshipping in spirit and in truth. And you know what? It does not end when you come to church. Your entire life is guarded by that fact, that truth. And so it doesn't matter where you are, within a church setting or not, amongst other believers or not, your life is to the glory of God. You understand that you are not a part of this world. You've separated yourself. Everything you do must be to the glory of God. Every thought that passes through your mind must be godly thoughts. Every word that comes forth from your mouth must be words of grace. In all things, you are mindful of the fact that God is watching you because you are his child. You are mindful of the Christ that you are an ambassador of Christ Jesus. And so you cannot bring do anything, say anything to bring disrepute to his name. Now look at what we have today called Christianity. And like I said, the channels of temptation of Satan, they're three. They've always been three. They've always been the same. And they're this. John says them in First John chapter 2. Um, I'll take it from verse 15 there to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men, the loss of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and his desires will pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. So there you have it. The three channels of temptation, the cravings of sinful man, the loss of the eyes, and the boasting of what of what man does, what he has and does. That's called the pride of life. So we've got the, the, the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the and the pride of life. So exactly what it did to Adam and Eve. When he went up to, to Eve, <clears throat> when Satan went up to Eve and said to him, did God say you're going to die if you eat of this fruit, this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? No, you're not going to die. God is lying to you. It's deceiving you. He knows. He knows that once you eat, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be exactly like God. Oh yes. You're going to be exactly like God. He was, uh, he, he was enticing her then with the pride of life. You can be like God. Why should you be subject to God if you can be like God? And the Bible says that when the woman saw that the that that, that the fruit of the tree was was lovely, let me see, let me let me try and quote it exactly how it says it. When it, when she saw that it was good, she looked at it. Now, one thing I'm sure about is this: I'm sure all the fruit of all the trees in the Garden of Eden looked good, but at that point in time when Satan is enticing you. When it's tempting you, that object of temptation is going to look better than everything else. Yes, you know that concept about the grass being greener on the other side? He will always tempt you with that, and the thing will look different. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, see, the lust of the eyes, and good for food, the lust of the flesh is going to be good for me. Mm -hmm. Because Satan said so. And of course, there's the pride of life. I can be like God. I can be co-equal if I eat it, because I'm going to have the same knowledge as God. So she fell, because she ate it. And she gave Adam some, and he was in better reasoning. And he he, he ate it also. And that was it. That was the fall of man. And do you know, to this day, the tactic remains the same. People are too concerned about what they see. You see the magnificent things of this world, and you want it. You want to be a part of it. You see the beautiful things you must have it. The television and the media, they tell you what you ought to wear, what you ought to own, what you ought to... And you fall for it. Like my daughter, my oldest daughter always says something. You know, every time we sit and watch and tell you or saying something old, 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 she says, left to you, mum, nobody in this world would ever be financially wealthy because you just snub all these adverts and snub every ideas you just can be bothered with anything i said yes i can't be bothered with anything because i'm not going to fall for the deception of some people who want to get rich and then they tell me unless i put this particular cream on my body my skin's going to we you know wither and dry out i haven't used it in all this time you've only just invented this cream i've lived over 40 years without using it and there's nothing wrong with my skin so how can you convince me today that i really need it how How can you tell me that unless I own the latest Ferrari car, I have not yet experienced the joy of driving? What are you talking about? What joy is there in driving? I've had a car, whatever it may be, a little Ford Focus, a little Morris Minor, but it has taken me from A to B. It has served the purpose for which I needed a car. So why do I have to have this ultimate driving experience of the latest BMW? No. I thank God that I have wisdom enough. I thank God that I have discernment enough not to fall for every trickery of Satan. And this is where the problem is. People are falling for it and Paul warned against it. He said, so that we can be able to stand against the devil's schemes. What he is saying there, when he talks about principalities and authorities and others, rulers and powers in dark places in the heavenly realms, Satan, let me tell you now, Satan has got a very sophisticated hierarchy of demonic spirits at work. They have a hierarchy. you got the tiny little demonic spirits, the ones who lead people into silly things like lying and uh, stealing and prostitution and drug use, and then it goes higher. They have those, you know, take it all the way up to the governments of the world, you know. Who go to war against one another? I mean, look at all the systems in the world. All the world systems are there. They have been cleverly put together by Satan and his team to oppress Christians. Yes, because everything the world permits is everything God resents and God opposes. So they give us rights. We can. We've got rights to do anything. A child can leave their parents' home when they're whatever age. You know, it doesn't matter. In the past, you know, according to God's ordinances, a child did not leave their parents' home until they got married. But no, that's different now. Now we can cohabit, you know, live together, have sex. Anytime you want sex is everybody's right. So children are being given contraception, school children. They've been offered contraception at the entrance to their schools, morning after pills and all that. Now they've been told they've got sex clinics in schools. You know, abstention is not being preached to children whatsoever because, you know, you're infringing on their civil liberties. They've got a right to have sex. They can choose to be homosexual. Now, we don't tell them about God said He created man and male and female, and God says it's an abomination for the same sex people to be together. No, you've got a right to do that. It's your body. But the Bible tells us that we are God's temple, and God is by His Spirit. Of course, not everybody is God's temple. You need to be born again and belong to Christ before you can be God's temple. God does not live in an impure temple. He does not live in an unholy temple, so you can forget it. Unless you belong to Christ Jesus. Look at all the wars we have in the world. What are they motivated by? Power. Power. Hunger for power. All the leaders of the world... They're all hungry for power. They're full of covetousness. This country is full of diamonds. We must have it. We must have it. We must have control of them. So we go there and we oppress the people and we kill them. This country has got oil. We must exploit them. So we go there and we bomb them off and do everything. It's all part of Satan's grand scheme. God did not put us here so we can be killing each other for oil, for diamonds, for anything whatsoever. But the pride of life has set in. One government wants somewhere, maybe America, I think, nowadays, that he, they want to be the world police, so the president of America is considered the most powerful man in the world. Says who? The most powerful man in the world. The guy's defeated by Satan. You told me he's the most powerful world, man in the world. Powerful, yeah, by world standards, maybe. Well, definitely by world standards. Why? Because he wants to have authority over every other nation. That's what it's all about. And the thing cascades down the line because then we come to the workplace. We come to family and there's all the rivalry going on. There's all the competition. Nasty, deadly competitiveness amongst people. The rich want to stay rich and they want to get rich all the time and they're not interested in pulling off the poor. No, because the poor must stay poor because the rich needs people who look up to them as God. They need people to, to exploit and oppress, otherwise they don't feel powerful enough. And then the poor resent the rich, and there's all the a- hatred about. And so because the poor resent the rich, they also now, they they now want to covet, they covet riches, and so they now run around and will do anything, anything at all to get rich. And that is the mob, a, a, a large mob that we have today in Christendom called Christians, who go to church for the simple purposes of going to claim it and name it and possess it. So they're there, crusade to crusade, after one miracle worker, they go from one miracle worker to the other. They love anybody who promises them wealth and good health. They will put in any amount of money. Have you looked at the ridiculous rogue televangelists we've got in the world nowadays? They're living in excesses. They, they live in large. These guys on private jets. Some, some of them even two, three. I think Kenneth Copeland must have about four or five to his to, to his name. Not to talk about everything else they own. These guys don't live in one house. They don't live in one mansion. They've got their own estates. And where's all the revenue coming from? From the poor, who aspire to get rich. And as such, are putting all their money as an investment into the hands of these rogues who will tell you that God wants to do you an amazing thing. God wants to turn your finances around. God has ordained, you know, 1,000 millionaires who will sow in a seed of $1,000 or whatever amount they put on it. They do it now, they name their price. And they tell you to sell, send all this seed, because unless you do it, you cannot activate God into acting. God cannot do anything until he sees your faith. So that's your faith. The money you put in because you want to get a hundredfold back. That's not your faith. That's rubbish. And that's just you being taken. You've just been robbed and you don't know it. You're not discerning enough. Why? Because your affections are set on the wrong things. Those are the the devil's schemes. And people are falling for it. Big time. Big time. We have an army of false teachers out there. Under different titles. Bishop, Archbishop, Apostle, Prophet, Pastor, Evangelist. Well, not a lot of people use Evangelist. They think that's too low down the um, down the hierarchy. God has not established an hierarchy, by the way. But uh, there you go. This is all the carnality of men. So, you know, you don't get too many who call themselves Evangelists. It's Reverend Doctor, Pastor, Senior Apostle, Prophet, and things like that. The fancier, and the longer, the better, you know. So, <laughs> isn't that foolish? The object of man is to bring glory to God. You bring glory to God, the work of God is to obey the one he has sent. Our Lord made it very clear. When you come to Jesus, you must see differently. Things are different now. Unless, of course, you have not got saved in faith. Because I cannot understand how anybody who truly understands what Christ has done, who truly understands the pain, the agony involved in the cross of Christ. And Jesus did not have to do it. He did not. He did not have to save us. He didn't have to. But he chose to. I cannot understand how anybody cannot love him back in return. And by loving him in return, you now. You, what it means is you abandon everything you had affection for in the world. Now you, 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 you think in the ways of Christ. Look at it. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says we're exactly what we're supposed to be. From verse 1 there, Ephesians 5, 1 to 7. I'm going to go through it very quickly. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with with them. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Words of flattery. Words that throw you into self-pity. And they tell you, look at that, the only reason you're not rich and wealthy yet, you don't have everything you need, is because Satan's on your case, there's an enemy at work, there's a demon pursuing you. No! No! These are so petty, and they come from empty, puffed puffed up minds of the most unspiritual people who really believe they're spiritual. That's the amazing thing about it. They really believe they know what they're talking about, but they don't know what they're talking about. The Bible makes it clear. You can only have victory when you turn your heart against the things of this world. Your affection, which was for this world and all there is in the world, you now turn your affection on Christ. We all felt like that. Look, Paul said, you spent enough time doing that. We've all been like that before. Because before we came to know Christ, we didn't know that there is more to life than than what we presently see. But when you come, when you hear the gospel, which is good news, gospel means good news. And the gospel of Christ is the only gospel. There's no other gospel. There's prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel. They're not gospel. They're bad news. Because you know what they do? They sink you into the lowest depths of depravity. Chasing after Satan. Voluntarily giving your soul to Satan. Because you want to have good things and big things and wealth and health and all those things. So what if you're ill? Whether you've got good health or bad health, we're going to pass away from this world anyway. We have been promised a new a new existence, eternal life where there will be no sickness, where there will be no tears, no sorrow, no mourning. We were not made any promises for this present world other than our salvation, if you are called of God to be saved we were not made any promises that you being here you're going to have everything good health perfect health everything you're going to have it all because you're here and you're a christian you're called by my name you're going to live the kingdom life because you know i mine is a very wealthy kingdom and if you belong to me of course you're a co-inheritor of this kingdom so you're going to have it all at your disposal because i hear some lunatics preaching nonsense that jesus was very wealthy and because jesus was very wealthy you've got no business being poor if you're a part of christ that sort of those sort of lies come from the deepest parts of hell. The, 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 the doctrine of demons. They tell you everything pertaining to yourself. Everything. All the teaching is about you. So they, they sell you so many self, self-help books and CDs and DVDs. They're getting richer, you're getting poorer. Your situation is not improving because God has not sent them to make any promises like that on, on his behalf. We have all of the God's promises in his written word. And you know what? Jesus said to us, In this life you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We're supposed to look forward to the promise of eternity, of the restoration, of the initial order of things. When everything was perfect, we didn't have to toil or slave or labor for anything. But we were just there, enjoying the glorious works of God's hands. That was how it was with human beings at the very start. It wasn't until the fall of Adam and Eve that God said, "We have to, now, we now have to toil for our bread," and everything went pear-shaped. It's the consequences of the sinfulness of man. That is why the world is in the turmoil it's in, and yes, nasty things will happen. The adversities will occur, and you and I, as believers, will be affected. But we should—we're not supposed to be destabilized in our walk for God. We're supposed to put on the full armor of God and stand. Against the devil's schemes, so no matter what, whether I'm hungry today, or I'm ill today, I still continue praising God and giving glory to God. That is me standing, taking my stand against the devil's schemes. I cannot understand if you truly appreciate what saving faith is, if you truly appreciate what Christ did for you. I don't know why you cannot say like Charles Wesley, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? "'Died he for me who caused this pain, "'for me who him to death pursued. "'Amazing love! "'How can it be that thou, my God, "'shouldst die for me?' "'You need to rethink. "'Are you truly saved? "'Because unless you have that appreciation "'of the cross of Christ, you're not. "'You're working under a delusion. "'You've been misled, and that is the whole idea. "'Satan is misleading the people. "'And forget about the peoples of the world. "'They are already his anyway. "'But you who are a believer,' whose affection is still based on this world and things of this world, and you're so discontent, you still want more of this and more of that. The Bible says, godliness with contentment is great gain, and that people wanting to get rich are falling into all kinds of schemes and pierced themselves with many griefs. And to top that all, they end up in hell, because they never knew the Christ. We'll continue in this series next week. Until then, I pray for God to be with you, and bless you with assignment, that your affections may be right, and your thoughts may be right before the Lord. Amen.